This is Shaheen Chaudhary, and welcome to another exciting episode of How I Lead Change, a podcast about executives leading successful human-centric changes in their organizations. I am hosting this podcast from the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh First Nations in British Columbia, Canada. Today on our show, I am joined by Kate Parker, Vice President People at Technical Safety BC. Technical Safety BC works with organizations, stakeholders, and the public to build and implement programs that reduce safety risk through regulation, research, education, and enforcement. Kate, it is an honor and a great pleasure to have you on our podcast today. Thanks for your welcome, Shaheen. It's great to be here. Well, let's get started. Tell us about Technical Safety BC and your role in the organization. Sounds good. You've done a great oversight of Technical Safety BC. I think the one thing that I'll add um, is that while we are we oversee safety of technical systems across the province, we don't do that simply by inspecting. Instead, what we have done is shifted a number of years ago to what we call a risk-based oversight model. And so using machine learning and artificial intelligence, we engage our safety, uh, safety officers and our systems to really learn and understand what's happening in the province and provide our safety officer with informed information about where they will find the highest hazards. So as you can imagine in a, in a podcast around change, that was a massive change for us. Um, and what we have found is that it is making British Columbia and British Columbians safer. In my role at Technical Safety BC, um, I have had an opportunity to lead people, culture, and right now even supporting operations to advance safety standard standards using that machine learning and artificial intelligence and really shift our employees to see their role in the journey to make British Columbia safer using data, using engagement, and using connection, we've really started to help our employees and encourage our employees to use all of the skills they have, not just the ones they were hired for, even the ones listed on their resume, to engage in our strategy and in the change that we want to create in British Columbia. Now, we do that in lots of different ways. Um, and as we know, anyone grappling with change, which probably is all of us, um, there's no one tool in our toolkit that works. But what I have found is that really engaging with employees and allowing them to see themselves in the change has made a huge difference. Um, I think of the moment that um, we were all faced with COVID-19, the topic we're all done talking about, which is still here. Um, one of the things that we recognized right away was that we had to engage with our employees at the level of self-safety before we could ask them to step in and support the organization and the province with safety. And so in early days, maybe a week into the pandemic, um, the CEO at the time and I shared with the organization that no one was going to lose their job. 
Now, that was a risky move. We didn't know what was coming in the future. We've never seen a pandemic like this before. We certainly didn't know what the trajectory was at that time. But what we knew was that if our employees didn't feel safe and secure in their livelihood, they wouldn't be able to step in to the changes that we were going to need to make across the organization to not only survive, but thrive in very uncertain times. And so it was a risky move, but what we heard right away from our employees was, you've really helped me to feel okay. And as their peers, maybe family members and others in the community were um, being laid off or, or really starting to feel um, unsafe at that basic level, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of need, a food, water, shelter. And I think in a first world society, we also put safety in there, um, whether that's physical, emotional, or even um, psychological safety. We were able to say to our employees, you are safe. And then we were able to go in and start talking about, and what are we going to do together? And so I would say that when I think about change, the most important thing that I think about is what is required prior to putting any change out into the environment, what is required to ensure that our people are ready to receive it. And that comes from basic safety. And I would actually consider the model of, you know, what builds resiliency, which we know is connection. Humans are hardwired for connection. Consistency. We know that our systems work best when we trust what's happening next, when we know uh, how things will go and how things will respond. And then finally, control, and that self-agency, that self-control. So really, when I think about change, whether it's big, small, within a team or within the, across the entire organization, I really look at how do we ensure those that will create the change, that will actually make that shift, how do we ensure that they feel connected that they have consistency they can trust and that they feel they have self-control over the choices that they have agency to make. Thanks for that, uh, Kate. Um, you talked about human connections and you talked about resiliency and how you and your uh, peers at the Technical Safety BC uh, you know, led that uh, change and shift um, through the start of the pandemic. Uh, you also mentioned uh, about uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence and uh, how that has been a transformation as well that Technical Safety BC has undertaken. So uh, tell us more about that change journey as well uh, and, and what, um, how did you uh, manage that change? How did you um, set up that environment where people could understand the direction that uh, the organization is taking and how did you uh, influence that? Mm, thanks. So one of the things, and probably linking back into um, the, the sense of control and the sense of uh, consistency, we knew that implementing a change that was fundamentally going to shift the way in which our safety officers engaged with the public and with our stakeholders was that we could not flip a switch. We needed to give time for those people that were going to be engaged in that change to learn about it, to understand it, to influence it, and then to choose it and not have it chosen for them. So we started with uh, a lot of education, a lot of two-way feedback sessions. And as we moved to be ready to start to bring this change into operations, we made it very, very clear that 
It was a choice. And over time, we engaged more and more around guiding that choice and when it was strongly encouraged, but we never questioned our safety officer's expertise. And so what we said is, here's another tool in your tool belt. And here's how it can work. And we allowed those uh, safety officers who were early adopters, who were really excited to start leaning in first. And we didn't place a requirement. Because what we know is that when humans are forced to do anything, even if it's maybe what they want to do or what's best for them, the initial response is to defy. We don't like to be controlled. We like to have the agency and choice. And so we really needed to ensure that we were protecting that. And so we started by doing a whole lot of education, as I mentioned, getting feedback, and then rolling out pilots, not saying this is perfect, because we knew it wasn't. And using a real agile model, we started running uh, pieces and then getting feedback and adapting and getting feedback. And it was probably, forgive me, my answer is not going to be perfect here, but probably at least 18 months, if not two years, before we started um, really asking safety officers and others using uh, the tools to, to be using this in specific ways. What we found that was fascinating was that while our the uh, machine learning was showing a market shift in the level of hazards we were finding, meaning that we were starting to find more high hazards based on the information that we were getting, we also found that when safety officers weren't specifically using that tool, because it's not appropriate for all times, but that they, while the machine was learning from them, they were also learning from the machine. So they had multiple tools in their tool belt, and sometimes they were using the machine learning or artificial intelligence to guide them. And other times they were using their expertise or the relationships or the knowledge they had about those clients and where they would find highest risks. But what we observed was that the way they were making judgment calls and the way they were using their expertise was actually being influenced by the tool. So it was fascinating to see that we actually had a circular learning tool. It wasn't just safety officers putting input into uh, the machine learning and, and using that to inform risk. It was actually that then the outcomes of the tool, the outcomes from that learning were actually being incorporated into the safety officer's judgment. And so you can see this spiral of growth and knowledge and expertise growing. And that was fascinating. And when we started to be able to demonstrate how the tool was truly helping them, not just the organization, we saw the uptick really spiral and it was really positive. And now I can say probably five years later, we don't well, that's great. Uh, I mean, you're talking about the leading uh, through the change curve and not forcing change on people, right? Uh, uh, you know, humans, um, you know, people don't, nobody likes, you know, something forced on them. So uh, influencing that and, and in a way where people are adopting and we see value in it. And also you talked about human and intelligence and complementing that with uh, artificial intelligence, how both combine together. You know, you mentioned circular learning and, and uh, yeah, they're very complementary to each other. Um, tell us about what are the factors that are driving change? Uh, you, you talk about, I mean, artificial intelligence and machine learning are 
uh, topics that are top of mind for leaders uh, in all organizations, uh, you know, right now. Um, so what, what are some of the factors that are driving change in your, your industry? Well, I don't, I don't think that our industry is exclusive to all of the change that's happening and, and probably many of the factors that are, um, that are influencing us, guiding us, and sometimes poking us are, are the ones that others are seeing as well. So obviously, yes, artificial intelligence, um, the introduction of chat GPT and other tools. And, and certainly um, in our industry, we also follow economic trends um, and t- specifically trends in construction. Um, and so we see all of that. The other thing that we see is is our, our clients' uh, expectations. We know that um, a general trend is an expectation for hyper-individualization or customization of experience. And so what one client or stakeholder might want would be very different than another. They may have the exact same challenge. They may even have similar technology, but their experience with us needs to be able to be customized to them. And so one of the things that we are undergoing as a huge transformation right now is actually looking at our entire system. And we're running a massive change called P4, uh, which is just an acronym, but uh, has stuck. So nothing exciting, but it's just stuck. Um, we were actually looking at how all of our systems uh, interact, how our clients can interact with us, um, and how they can receive what they need from our system. So this is a multi-year journey. Uh, it's enormous. Um, and it's certainly been an incredible uh, change journey. Uh, and actually the change journey that, uh, Shaheen, you and I have met on because some of your incredible change expertise uh, has been what's guided uh, guided our teams as well. And so one of the things that um, that I think we need to be really aware of is that at every level of the organization, we have a different level of awareness, understanding, and familiarity with the uh, factors or influences that are causing us to either respond to something with change or lead something with change. And it's, it's one of the most dangerous things I've observed in any kind of change curve is the assumption that others understand. And so it's so important through all of this that not only are we talking about the change, but we're talking about the why. You know, Martin Luther King didn't say, I have a 15-point detailed plan. He said, I have a dream. And that matters because no one wants to hear the 15-point detailed plan until they actually understand the problem. We are meaning makers and we are problem solvers. So we have to give all of our employees, both internal and all of our stakeholders, internal and external, all of the information as to why we made the decision. And that can be challenging because that involves communication. It involves vulnerability. There might be areas where we've made assumptions and they could be data informed, but they might still be wrong. And having to share all of that process so that people understand rather than just the outcome, which is what we like to share. Um, and it feels faster. But what ends up happening is it's slower because we have to share, share the journey we've been on. Um, and so one, that's sharing the factors that are pressuring us. Two, that's sharing the impact it's having on us. And three, it's the process of how did we assess that? And 
sharing it is really important and even more powerful is including people. And we hear that all the time. Well, to be, for people to accept change, they need to be included. And that can be sort of a checkbox. Like, okay, have I included them? Have I shown up at their team meeting and told them what I'm doing? But it actually needs to have the experience of choice. And so what's really important when we're thinking about change, when we're thinking about the different factors, is not only sharing the factors of the environmental pressures that we see, but actually asking others, what are they seeing? What are they facing? And it's fascinating because so much of what we'll hear is the external pressures that we're hearing. But one of the things that we heard that was making change difficult and not in a direct relationship, but we heard a ton about um, people feeling the pressures from home of the sandwich generation. And you think, well, that has nothing to do with the work you're doing between nine and five, except that we know that humans do not turn off one part of themselves and turn on another. That if your child is sick or your mother has a fall, that phone call is coming in at 2 p.m. whether you're in a meeting or not. And so what we started to realize was that if we weren't taking care of our employees as a whole person, they weren't going to be able to go on the change journey or the evolution that our strategy was taking. And so we have really tied all of the pieces around the change theories and change curves and all those things that we talk about a lot of change, but we've tied it back to what do people need so that they can show up ready for that. And so while it may not be part of the change um, theory, taking care of our employees as social, emotional, and physical needs matter to us. You know, big things like making sure that we had mental health support and structures, not just available outside the organization, but actually within the organization that we had that vernacular so that people, if they were feeling stressed, knew how to talk about it in a way that felt safe and didn't feel like it was going to threaten their job or if they were dealing with a mental health problem or they were dealing with a crisis. But also things as simple as opening our offices to our employees, their families and their pets if we're in a heat wave. Right. It might seem silly, but if you are boiling hot and your dog's panting and your kid's whining because they're boiling, and you don't have air conditioning. There's no way you're ready to shift. And so saying, hey, we are here for you as a human, not you as an employee, was actually a really foundational piece of making sure that we are creating an environment where change was possible. Thank you, Kate, for sharing the strategies you were implementing to help people adopt change at Technical Safety BC and some of the very interesting impacts uh, that these strategies are having, positive things that, uh, you know, impact that they're having on, on your workforce. Um, what, what are some of the other impacts that you've noticed uh, and that you've seen uh, on your workforce, your new people at Technical Safety BC as a result of these strategies? Mm, well, there's lots of positive, and we all know that if we're not talking about the other side, then we're not telling the whole story. So certainly I think the other thing that we have to think about is capability and capacity. And so not every employee is going to have the capability and capacity to adapt and respond and really step into the change. And that doesn't make them a bad person or a bad employee, it makes them at the edge of their capacity. And so I think what we have to hold is that different people will be able to lead, respond and take action differently. And we need to make sure that we're pushing them up to the edge of their capacity, but not over. And so there are employees where we know that they are not going to really embody all of the change that we need. And so we need to look at where can we take them to their edge? And then how can we ensure that even if they may not be leading, they're not detracting from that change? So we have found um, through our 
you know, the big change that we're undergoing right now, multi-million dollar change of P4 in all our systems, is that we found we've got people who are who are change leads or change enable, enablers, and we've got people that just aren't quite ready. And, and for whatever reason that may be, and we need to make sure that they're not detractors, but then we need to set them up with somebody who can help. You know, the, the analogy of, you know, training a runner, and if they're not doing well, you send them around the track one more time, is sort of the way we use change, right? Okay, you haven't gotten it yet. Let me tell you more. Let me incent you more. Let me show you what the penalty is. Let me just get your muscles trained further. But the truth is not everyone's a sprinter. And so there are times when we have to recognize that if we've pushed someone to their capacity and it's not as far as we want to be, that maybe we need to lead them. Maybe we need to lead them around the track or let them take a break or move into an area of the organization where that change isn't going to be quite as close to their role. Um, and there will always be times where we have to honor that some people might not choose change. And we will do everything we can. We will support them and we'll engage them. And there will be a time when they say, this isn't for me. And then it's honoring that choice, not as a failure to the organization, but actually as a huge contribution to the organization that someone has recognized that where we're going isn't where they want to go. And that's okay. So I think we have to recognize that change is tough. And we can do all kinds of incredible things to make it um, a good experience. Um, but it isn't always for everyone. And that's okay, too. One of the things that I think is so dangerous is that we assume people are having lifelong careers. Uh, no one has a lifelong career with one company anymore. It's just not the reality. And so instead of making that seem like a failure, we have to stop that being a goal. And that, in fact, for whatever time somebody is with us, that it is positive and that they're contributing. And then when it's time to go, for whatever reason that may be, that we create a really strong alumni relationship and that we make sure that we have learned what we can from them. They've learned what they can from us and that we hold each other um, with grace as we move forward and in, in high regard. So not everybody's going to be able to do it. And that's OK. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Kate, what is your top piece of advice for other executives on managing change effectively? Mm. Oh, so many things go through my mind, but I think I'll say this. Meet every employee in the relationship. We know that we are hardwired for connection, and we know that when the need for connection is met, all sorts of other things open up. So meet people where they're at in relationship before you ask for any change. In the same way that you meet your partner or your child, you know, you don't wake up and come down, come downstairs and, and let them know all the things they're going to do for the day. You start by waking up and meeting in connection and then you move into action. So always prioritize connection before action. And when you build that trust, you know that people are going to believe in you and they know they're being believed in and they will be able to meet that change. Always prioritize connection before action. Amazing. Love that. Thank you very much, uh, Kate, for that. And uh, that's all for today's episode of How I Lead Change. I hope that uh, you can take what you've learned from Kate today and incorporate that into your own leadership style. 
Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. Now go out there and be successful at change. Thank you.